For RCRTV, I'm Sean Kinney, and welcome to HetNet Happenings, where we talk about all things DAS, Wi-Fi, small cell, and much more. Comscope. Thinking beyond today's technology to help you make the best decision for your network and your business. Register today for the Wireless Infrastructure Show, the premier national event for mobile network solutions, produced for the industry, by the industry. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. All right, welcome back to HetNet Happenings. You know, I say in the show tagline that we talk about all things DAS, small cell, Wi-Fi, and much more. Today's show decidedly is going to fall into that much more category. We're joined by Robert Heath. He's a professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Texas at Austin, as well as a member of the Wireless Communications and Networking Group. Robert, I wanted to, uh, well, first, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate you coming into the studio. But I wanted to talk about just a few different aspects of your, your research. And uh, if you don't mind, we'll jump right in and talk about uh, MIMO, multi-input, multi-output. Okay. This sort of configuration in a wireless network will put multiple antennas at the transmitter, multiple antennas at the receiver. Gives a few different benefits to a mobile network operator. So how does MIMO benefit a mobile network operator in terms of uh, capacity and spectral efficiency? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, MIMO, the original interest in MIMO really came about because of the spectral efficiency. Mm-hmm. And, and so by having, you know, base stations typically have a lot of antennas. By putting a few extra antennas on the handset, you can increase the, the spectral efficiency and so increase the peak throughputs mm-hmm. that the users uh, see. And so in, in terms of capacity, what do I get differentiating between MIMO and no MIMO? Well, the theory would be something like a 2 or a 4X if you mm-hmm. had two uh, transmit, two receive antennas, or four transmit, two receive. Um, it's been a bit more problematic in cellular because it, a lot of these things depend on um, the positions of the antennas as mm-hmm. well as if there's interference or not. So the gains from, the practical gains from MIMO, the gains that everybody sees, may or may not be as high as that. Okay, so what, um, to what extent is MIMO used by major carriers? Well, my understanding is it, it is widely deployed mm-hmm. um, in at least the, what we call the 2 by 2 configuration with mm-hmm. um, two streams, so two transmit antennas at the base station, two at the mobile station, and it may be just one on the uplink. Some more advanced deployments have a, a couple antennas at the, the user equipment. Okay, but and I know it's it, when we talk about carriers, there's always sort of a veil of mystery because they don't really, you know, tell you what exactly yeah, they're doing right. in terms of physical configuration. But it, it's not really ubiquitous, is it? It's not everywhere. No, it's not. I mean, yeah. they, to to really exploit MIMO, they potentially have to deploy different antennas at the base station. Mm-hmm. Depends on how their antennas were configured, and then of course they have to upgrade the the processing. And so you would roll it out in markets where the peak rate is is going to be more important. And so mm-hmm. rural areas, it's it's not um, widely deployed, I would guess. Okay, and you, you mentioned um, interference. I, I know to some extent MIMO can cut down on interference, but uh, to step back from that, and this is something I just don't fully understand that well. Can you explain the what interference is, what we're talking about when we say interference, interference as it relates to a telecom network? Yeah. 
So interference, I mean, generally is, is an undesired signal. Now, you can think about interference as being, you know, so, some signal transmission that, that shouldn't be in the band, but mm -hmm. that's actually not very common. So in the licensed bands um, where people own the spectrum, I mean, it's usually the interference is created from their own equipment. Mm -hmm. So cellular systems, they reuse the frequencies in different cells. And so when you're in one cell, you receive also signal from other cells. And since that's undesired, um, that would be considered as interference. Okay, and does that sort of get back to when we say spectral efficiency, if you can cut interference out of it, does you, do you get a, you know, a benefit in terms of your spectrum usage, or why do you want to get rid of it? Yeah, the spectrum efficiency, I mean, when you, especially when you talk about area spectral efficiency, mm -hmm. uh, is very important. So, I mean, interference, when you're really evaluating the quality of a link, the performance depends on both, you know, the signal power, the noise power, and the interference power. And so if you can increase signal um, which normally you can't do because that's limited. Reduce noise, which normally you can't do, this depends on the hardware, mm -hmm. but you can maybe reduce interference by designing the system or using better signal processing algorithms. And so that gives you better spectral efficiency. Okay, and you know, I've, uh, we've, we've done some work with the wireless network and communication group at UT before, and mm -hmm. um, I, I think some of the slideshows I've seen that talk about 5G, sort of the, the next evolution of cellular standards, Spectral efficiency is a big part of that, right? Getting the, the most out of what you have since it's a, a limited resource. So, uh, you know, tell me from your perspective how, how spectral efficiency is going to figure into 5G. Okay. Well, I mean, spectral efficiency, it's, um, it's critical because we do need to, to basically offer higher rates and support more users. Mm -hmm. um, but so it's going to factor in. It's going to factor in primarily... At the lower frequencies, I think in what's called massive MIMO, so the use of lots of antennas at the base station and quite a few, uh, serving quite a few users. It's like mm -hmm. a, it's a particular multi-user MIMO configuration. Okay. But it's probably not going to solve the problem completely. Mm -hmm. And I think we're also going to have to go to higher frequencies to get wider bandwidths. So spectral efficiency and spectrum need are both needed for 5G. Okay, and you, you mentioned the higher frequencies. I, I know another portion of your research focuses on utilizing millimeter wave, which is you know, right. that, that high, high frequency that we, we don't really fully utilize right now. So can you give us an overview of millimeter wave? It's something that I have a, you know, a, not a totally clear understanding of. Sure. Yeah, so the carrier frequencies we use right now are what's called the, the UHF band, ultra-high frequency. So there may be 900 megahertz, 850, 1900, 2.4 gigahertz at mm -hmm. Wi-Fi. So millimeter wave is, is above about 30 gigahertz up to 300, but the, the candidate spectral bands are you know, maybe 28, 38, 48, 72. And so the carrier frequency is higher, but what, what's really interesting there is that the bandwidth of signals potentially is much much larger. So instead mm -hmm. of having a 20 megahertz channel, it's much easier to have a 200 megahertz channel or a gigahertz channel. Mm -hmm. And your spectral efficiency multiplies that number to give you the data rate. So the more spectrum you have, the higher your data rate. Okay, and I know, you know, millimeter wave gets talked about particularly when you're looking at device to device communication, even potentially wearables. Um, how, how does millimeter wave figure into to the particular topic. Yeah, so that's a topic I mean we're, we're looking at also um, that I think is going to be very important because uh, in, especially in the wearable space you can imagine you know the smartphone as being the hub for a wearable network but mm -hmm. 
it then has data to send maybe to your smart glasses, your smart watch. Mm -hmm. And if you want to stream you know, uncompressed video, you need very high data rates. And, and again, that's a place that millimeter wave can play a role, possibly in the form of 11AD, which is the um, unlicensed uh, millimeter wave Wi-Fi mm -hmm. uh, standard. And then, it, you know, and, and I think this is kind of what you guys dig into at, at UT. What are the, the, you know, real challenges to fully utilizing millimeter wave? Well, there's a lot of um, difficulty here. Many of them come from the hardware constraints. There's uh, a need to develop um, you know, hardware that's very low power, so it doesn't mm -hmm. use up all of your battery. Uh, but when you go to higher frequencies and higher bandwidths, the power you know, naturally um, gets consumed. And so developing signal processing techniques that reduce the, um, the power expenditure. So we can still exploit the bandwidth, we can still exploit MIMO, mm -hmm. but we don't have to pay you know, a huge cost in terms of power uh, performance. Okay, I really liked your example of, of the, the smartphone being sort of the hub of your, your personal wearable smart network. But wouldn't sort of with millimeter wave, wouldn't line of sight be a, a big sort of challenge to those connections? Yeah, it's a it's a challenge. There's a few issues there. Um, well, one 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 of them though is that millimeter wave does work with non line of sight. Mm -hmm. So you know, as we were talking, um, you know, I could be reflecting actually off of you. We are very good reflectors at millimeter wave, so I can actually okay. reflect off of the objects and get a non line of sight link. The other issue is that there hasn't been a lot of work done on networking on and around body at millimeter waves. There's only a few studies, and so we really, we know pretty well that it doesn't penetrate mm -hmm. um, very much, but... Um, like walls and buildings. Yeah, walls, okay. buildings, people. I mean, okay. it depends on the walls, right. but in particular, it doesn't penetrate people very well. It's why they use it for these naked body scanners in the airport okay. at millimeter wave. But, um, you know, a lot of work is still needed to understand the propagation channel, but we know that it, it's not always gonna be line of sight, so you have yeah. to be able to adapt, can work in non-line of sight switch to lower frequencies. Yeah, I guess I would, the way I think about it, I feel like if I'm moving and turning that I'm yeah. affecting sort of the, uh, the quality. Yeah, and that's true. And, and we've done um, work on this in cellular, modeling the effects of the human body blocking the signal. Mm -hmm. We've also been looking at this for wearable networks where we look at um, very dense environments like a train car or a bus mm -hmm. and the effect of um, every user having a wearable network but users also acting as blockages. Mm -hmm. And so the interesting thing here is that while you might be blocking your own signal, other people are also blocking their own signals and actually the interference environment can be much better. So even though your signal is not as good, your interference may be even much lower. And mm -hmm. so in fact, your signal to interference is, is surprisingly good. Okay, and, and this would work off of, a, I mean, a tiny antenna, right? Yeah, it could work off of potentially a very small antenna, but more likely it's going to be a little array of antennas. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to ask is, is if it's so tiny you can use a lot of them, right? And yeah. sort of round out the, the edges. Yeah, so you can use um, like the 11AD implementations I've seen at 60 gigahertz. Some of them use up to 32 antennas and they fit in a small space, you know, could be like the size of a fingernail. Mm -hmm. um, and you actually need the antennas because you need to get array gain. So it's not so much like the traditional MIMO spatial multiplexing as it is just to capture energy mm -hmm. so that we get enough received power to get a good okay. SNR. And you mentioned the, the airport body scanners as a use case of millimeter wave. I think we're all familiar with those now yeah. that they've been you know dropped in almost every airport. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other sort of uh, actual you know ready to go uses for millimeter wave or is it mostly R&D at this point? 
Well, I mean, it, there is stuff in the millimeter wave band that's that's deployed up to about 100 and maybe 20 gigahertz. So mm -hmm. there's, um, I mean, there's many kinds of radars, there's satellite links. Um, this unlicensed band at 60 gigahertz is being used for personal area networking. Mm -hmm. It's also going to be used for Wi-Fi. I mean, these products are available now. Um, the HDMI cable replacement has been available for about five years. And then the Wi-Fi products are starting to ship now mm -hmm. there. So there's a lot of consumer products. There's, um, there's like automotive radars at 77. And then there's just a lot of other, you know, the military, satellite, mm -hmm. um, non-commercial wireless applications. But for full-scale sort of, you know, utilization of this in, in cellular, mm -hmm. what needs to happen? Well, we need a, quite a few things. I mean, one thing we need is some spectrum. Mm -hmm. But I think before that, we have to convince, you know, FCC and others that it's viable, you know, because it's, it's a long process to get spectrum. Because even though that a lot of the spectrum is not very well used up to about 110 gigahertz, but it's still licensed. So someone has it and, you know, won't want to give it up right. without some compensation. So we have to demonstrate that it's going to be really worthwhile. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot of the research that, that we're doing at UT and my group in particular studying the, the uh, effects of the, uh, if you go to millimeter wave, how does that improve cellular system performance? And FCC has um, released this notice of inquiry, which many people responded to about the viability of using millimeter wave for cellular and my group submitted a response to some of the comments there. And you know, we're very, very much in favor of millimeter wave for cellular. So we think it has a lot of potential. And it, does millimeter wave have any sort of, and you know, I know we're talking down the road here, but from your point of view, does it have any sort of implications for what a 5G standard might be? Well, the, the using the millimeter wave, it'll potentially change a lot of features of the standard because it might need a different physical layer. It might not use OFDM. It might use MIMO a different way. Mm -hmm. The multiple access strategy would be different. Because you need directionality in the antennas, a lot of the things we take for granted, like um, you know, when you first power your phone on, the phone listens for the base stations. But if the base station has to point a beam to you, but you just turned your phone on, how does it know you're there? Mm -hmm. So there's a more complicated procedure for telling the base station I'm here when the base station can only hear in little directions. So it's had potentially a lot of changes in the standard. The other thing is going to be the role of density mm -hmm. um, because our work has shown that you probably aren't going to use millimeter wave for very large cells. Mm -hmm. So in an urban area is maybe um, 100, 200 meter uh, intersite distances. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's kind of a natural companion for the you know, for heterogeneous network, especially the small cell, femtocell. Okay, so how would how would a, a small cell interact with a, a millimeter wave antenna in a you know sort of hypothetical use case? Well, in a hypothetical use case, the small cell has a millimeter wave array, and okay. it's doing millimeter wave itself. Okay. And in fact, the macro might be doing communication at the lower frequency. So you could imagine that in the two tiers, instead of sharing the same spectrum, maybe the second tier, the small cell tier, is just using the high frequencies, and the macro just hands off people to high frequency, high bandwidth hotspots as needed. Okay. And then a nice thing about that is that the macro can handle uh, some of these control functions that are difficult to do purely at millimeter wave. Okay, and you mentioned um, ultra-dense networks, and, and you know these obviously show up in, in metropolitan areas, big cities, and, and particularly the densest parts of big cities. So um, how does this continued densification of, of urban networks contribute to 5G uh, thinking and research? Well, I think there's um, 
a lot of belief that that density is, I mean, is really critical because to get area spectral efficiency, which is you know bits per hertz, bits per second per hertz um, per like meter or per kilometer mm -hmm. squared, you, you need a lot of infrastructure. And so I think you know, density is a big part of a 5G solution, but the reality is it's a big part of 4G as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and I guess it, that's kind of, I'm curious, it seems like as the R&D for, for MIMO and, and millimeter wave can, continues, it seems like it could be used to maximize what we get out of LTE as we you know, more broadly move towards 5G. Is that fair to say? So in the sense of in millimeter wave? Say, MIMO and millimeter yeah. wave. All the stuff that's R&D is geared towards 5G, but it seems like it right. can also help us sort of extend the, the utility of LTE. Yeah, I think that's a that's a fair observation. Yeah. I mean, there's um, it may be that there's just an evolution of LTE that eventually becomes 5G. Right. Um, if we just keep adding antennas at the base station, for example, using massive MIMO, sticking with the frequencies we have now, mm -hmm. then we could support more users, get more spectral efficiency, and at some point, maybe someone could declare, "Hey, that's now 5G." Mm -hmm. And you know, and we've we've talked this whole time about how all this stuff feeds into 5G. And, and before we got on the set here, you and I were discussing this uh, 5G summit coming up in, in Brooklyn that Ted mm -hmm. Rappaport is uh, is putting on. What is sort of the state of 5G R and D right now? If you could just sum it up for us. Well, it, every um, company, you know, big player here is you know got a research agenda in 5G, so all the, all, the, all the major carriers, all the major silicon providers, carriers, um, network providers, so everyone's looking at it, trying to figure out what it will be. The standardization efforts haven't fully started yet, mm -hmm. maybe be another year, um, but in particular in the U.S., we do not have a really coordinated effort right now. Um, there's like not a, a, for example, large NSF, ERC type projects funding this. It's There's not a lot of... Um, you know, coordination between academia and industry about 5G in the U.S. Mm -hmm. In contrast to Europe, where there there are some really high-profile, big projects funding academic research, and there's a, lo a little bit more of a tighter connection. Now at UT, we do have a lot of um, collaboration with industry, but you know, it would be great if we had this on a large scale in the U.S. Yeah, and I know China Mobile and some of the other big Asian players are, are also sort of following their own research agenda too. So it's kind of, it, it's hard to me to really think that a 2018 sort of small commercialization followed by more broad in 2020 is, is realistic. What do you think? Is that? Well, it's going to come down to how, how and who defines what is 5G. Yeah. Um, I think a millimeter wave deployment at those frequencies is, is optimistic because we don't have the spectrum yet. Mm -hmm. um, it's possible we'll get it, but it, it seems like it may take a few more years. But you could have a lower frequency solution that someone baptizes as 5G right. come out. And that'll probably be what happens. Whatever's around, someone will say, hey, this is now 5G. Yeah, and I, yeah, I feel like without the, the, the coordinated uh, development of the standard basically the first person to market with something that's new and different is gonna mm -hmm. kind of corner the 5g as a marketing term uh, as opposed to an international standard yeah well I think I mean it, it is going to be developed in the context of an international standard but but right now the research is just it's in that initial phase where it's going in a lot of different directions mm -hmm. but I mean the companies of course are going to develop a standard doesn't make a lot of sense for them to develop a proprietary cellular solution yeah, well, it's um, 
you know, I, I just, I, I'm interested to see what happens, but I, I remain slightly skeptical of these firm dates. I'm just really curious to see what happens between now and then. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. All right, Robert. Well, I appreciate you coming in and uh, filling us in on all the research that you and the rest of the folks at UT are doing. Also want to put in a quick plug. I know that you and Ted Rappaport, who we mentioned earlier, uh, wrote a book that's available on Amazon.com. What's the title? Uh, I think it's Millimeter Wave Wireless Communications. There you go. So that'll, if you want to know more, you can check out the book. And uh, for a lot more uh, news content, multimedia content, please check out rcrwireless.com. Thanks for joining us on HetNet Happenings. HetNet Happenings is a production of RCR TV. To reach Sean Kinney or to suggest a show topic for HetNet Happenings, you can reach Sean at skinney at rcrwireless.com. On Twitter at Sean Kinney RCR. To find out more about the latest in HetNet and all things wireless, dig into rcrwireless.com.